Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back Dr. John Demartini. Everything is set up to try to maximize our performance, maximize our potential, and maximize our authenticity. Because when we exaggerate ourselves or minimize ourselves, we go into our amygdala, which subjectively biases our interpretation of reality and causes a skewed reaction. And we create symptoms. And the symptoms are there, not as a bad thing to get rid of, but as a wise thing to learn from. And we've oversighted that. We're not listening to applied physiology. We're just getting rid of the symptoms. We want immediate gratification to get rid of the symptoms instead of a long-term wisdom from the symptoms. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. If you're just joining our podcast, welcome. We have listeners in 111 countries with almost 3 million downloads, and we were awarded the Keto Podcast of the Year by the Metabolic Health Summit in 2022. Today's episode is one for the record books. Out of the 400 plus episodes I've done, this has gone into my top five all-time favorite interviews. Dr. John Demartini has been a huge influence, mentor in my life. His work, his programs, his books, they've changed my life over the years. And it was such an honor to first bring him on the podcast several months ago, which was episode 350, where he shared about the neuroscience of gratitude, the blessings of COVID, how to create an inspired and fulfilling life. And he also shared his story, which is incredible. So if you didn't listen to that one, Go listen to it after this episode, episode 350. We'll drop a link for that down below. Today's episode, we took a deep dive into looking at root cause versus symptom chasing, conventional medicine versus alternative medicine, and why he believes, and I 100% agree with him, I talk about this all the time in my lectures, that symptoms are a gift from your innate intelligence. And they, it is a feedback mechanism to show you something is wrong. There's interference. Let's identify the interference. And he gives an analogy about overeating, creating gastrointestinal issues and how conventional doctors will just prescribe medicine instead of saying, hey, what did you eat? Makes a lot of sense when you hear him share that. He's going he's to share some incredible stories of patients he's worked with over the years to Bring homeostasis to their autonomic nervous system. Now, this is going to be a deep episode for you, an episode that you want to listen to two, three, four, five, 10, 20 times, honestly, because it's so deep, it's so good. And if you could really understand what he's going to educate on today, 
I think it's going to make a big, I know it's going to make a big difference in your happiness, your health, your wealth, just everything in life. He's going to get into autoimmune disease and Raynaud's, which is something I have. And I ask him for some tips on my Raynaud's and what's going on with Raynaud's. He's going to talk about heart rate variability. I asked him about Bob Proctor out of curiosity because Bob Proctor has been a huge influence in my life. He recently passed away and Demartini had some nice words to share about him. He's going to talk about love and gratitude being two of the biggest healers in this world. He's going to give you some phenomenal resources and other practitioners and books that have made a big difference in his life. We get into the immune system. He says the immune system is a seventh sense to give the brain feedback on the autonomic nervous system. We get into parasympathetic versus sympathetic and how you don't want too much sympathetic or too much parasympathetic. You want a balance of both. And we get into the importance of living on purpose with your purpose, the subconscious mind. These are topics I love so much. I mean, that's why this episode is one for the record books. And I asked Dr. John Demartini at the end of the episode, because he's done thousands and thousands of interviews. I said, how would you rate this interview today with me? And you're going to get to hear his answer. So can't wait to bring him on. There's also a free gift that Dr. John Demartini is giving you called Seven Steps to Expand to the Next Level of Empowerment. It's the presentation by him. And that link could be found down below. It's a free gift. Take advantage of that. Before I bring him on, I want to get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This five-star review comes from Harry915. Informative. This podcast is a joy to listen to. If it's Ben himself or one of his guests, this podcast is on topic and an informative podcast. If you're making a lifestyle change or have been keto for a while, this podcast is for you. Harry, thank you so much. I'm glad you are enjoying my episodes, whether it's a solo episode or with a guest. And I agree, this is a great podcast for those who are new or who, those who have been doing this for years. You're going to learn many nuggets on every single episode. And we have 400 plus episodes, three new episodes each week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And sometimes we throw in some more. Like, I don't know any other podcasts that are as committed as us, honestly. So thank you, Harry, because your review really helps the show grow. If you have not left the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review and you've been listening, please leave the show a rating and review. It makes a Big, big difference. I want to remind you, we have seven spots left for my upcoming 90-day detox program. It starts in just a few days. Hopefully, you hear this on time. I want to teach you detox. I want to work with you for 90 days. You get four 60-minute group coaching calls with myself, all the supplements, all the testing kits, plus an online platform to learn about detox from Dr. Pompa, Dr. Mindy Pels, and many other of the doctors that I work with. So head over to ketocampdetox.com, camp with a K, ketocampdetox.com. Hopefully you're one of the seven spots remaining and I could show you how to do this the right way because we are not going to launch another detox group until next year. Okay, here we go. Stay present with this episode. Eliminate distractions. This is going to change your entire life. Here's Dr. John Demartini. Dr. John Demartini is a polymath and a world-renowned human expert, human behavior expert. His work has been described by students as the most comprehensive body of work, an extensive library of wisdom. I wholeheartedly agree. His mission and vision is to share knowledge and wisdom that empowers you to become a master of your own life and destiny. He's an internationally published author, a global educator, 
and the founder of the Demartini Method, a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. His education curriculum ranges from personal growth seminars to co corporate empowerment programs. His teachings are the synthesis of knowledge and wisdom from the greatest minds through history, and his curriculum is designed to help you empower and inspire all seven areas of your life. He studied over 30,650 books all across the defined academic principles and has synthesized the wisdom of the ages, which he shares online on stage in over 100 countries and on today's episode. Here's Dr. John Demartini. We did an episode several months ago, about 100 plus episodes back from this one, where we dove deep into your backstory, spoke about the neuroscience of gratitude. It was exceptional. So if you didn't listen to that or watch that, we'll put a link down below. Here's where I want to start today's conversation with you. I don't know if you remember, but you gave a lecture, you've given so many, but you gave one where I saw from many years ago, and you were referring to symptoms being a feedback mechanism from the innate intelligence to the human body. And you gave a story about somebody who ate two slices of pizza, 50 prunes, a sauerkraut, and all this food, and that person waking up the next day feeling awful. Do you remember that story? I do. I, I, oh, I, I sometimes change what they ate. <laughs> can you give that? Can you give that share and make that perfect example of why looking at the symptom might not be the best approach? Certainly. If an individual becomes an oinking pig and overeats, which occasionally occurs in some people's lives, and they really pile it in and eat way more than normal. I get to a point where I'm, I've already overeaten, I might as well go for it. And they wake up the next morning, if they can barely breathe at night, getting a breath just to eat because their full stomach is just full. If they wake up the next morning with puffy eyes, oily skin, headache, cramps, gas, stomach ache, maybe uh, bloat, and then eventually diarrhea, and they go to the doctor and go, man, I feel yucky. And he says, well, what's your symptoms? Well, I got a headache. Okay, cephalgia. He converts English into Latin so he can sell them a drug. <laughs> so they give, him a, they give him a drug. Cephalgia means headache, basically, in Latin. And he gives him an analgesic, an antiflagellant, an antihistamine, and antiviral for the stomach, you know, an anti-poop medicine. I mean, it gives them basically everything that is counterbalancing the symptoms. And this is a palliative approach, not a curative, not an educational approach, just a palliative approach. They may or may not said, by the way, when did this start? Oh, yesterday morning, I mean, this morning. What did you do last night? I picked out. You may not have seen that. They may not have asked. They just, they're pharmaceutical reps, so they just give you a drug. You might have gone to a chiropractor or maybe a naturopath or something or, or a nutritionist or whatever, and they go, well, when did this begin? It began this morning. Okay. Did you do anything odd yesterday or evening? Oh, yeah. What did you eat last night? Well, I pigged out. Okay. Well, your body is creating normal healthy biological responses to picking out is trying to get rid of the, the waste so you got diarrhea it's trying to get you to bloat 
because you didn't have the ability to digest that much food at one time. The digestive enzymes couldn't handle it. You probably swallowed it faster than you could even chew and swallow and get saliva around. And it went in before the enzymes could break it down. And so you're getting response in the gut, bloat, cramps, gas, etc. All of the symptoms are normal, healthy, biological, physiological responses to your behavior. So giving it a diagnosis and putting on a diagnosis and giving a script, I don't believe the body has a deficiency of drugs. I believe it's doing whatever it can to try to guide us on how to live. And it's creating symptoms to wake us up on how to moderate our behavior and live wisely. Now, when I was in my 20s, I sometimes ate more than I need, and I would get those symptoms. I don't overeat. I don't ever have those symptoms today. I don't ever have any of those symptoms. I'm very steady, very, and I don't live to eat. I, I eat to perform at my, my peak on a daily basis because I'm doing what I love every day. I want to be able to be 100%. So I eat moderately. I eat quality foods. I don't have any of those symptoms ever, years. So the body doesn't create symptoms out of the blue. You can always trace it to a, a reason, or at least trace it to potential reason. And I'm a firm believer that we have overlooked what the body's wisdom is. Walter Cannon wrote a magnificent book called The Wisdom of the Body. And he says that we are perturbed by external events or our perception of those external events. They could be toxic, they could be temperature, they could be things we inhale, it could be events, you know, traumatic events or whatever, injuries. But our body will do everything it can to maintain the pH, the temperature, the physiology within a normal range for survival. And has an incredible introceptive capacity, an extraceptive feedback system to guide us to do that. And this is what Walter Cannon was trying to say, and Claude Bernard, both Harvard professors, all great minds in the field of physiology, medicine. But what we've done is we have not honored the body, that innate intelligence, that inborn intelligence that knows what to do. There are thousands of feedback systems in the body. In the study of interception, we now know that almost every transmitter, almost every biochemical signal molecule is got feedback systems going back to the brain and the hypothalamus and everything else to, to the autonomics to get feedback to make sure that each of those chemistries are kept within a certain normal range, back to pH, back to temperature, back to circadian rhythms and the suprachiasmic nucleus. I mean, the, the introceptive capacity we have today from internal feedback, pressure and in, in the distension from the gut, all those create feedback systems to say, don't eat until the food passes to calm the gut down. Everything is set up to try to maximize our performance, maximize our potential, and maximize our authenticity. Because when we exaggerate ourselves or minimize ourselves, we go into our amygdala, which subjectively biases our interpretation of reality and causes a skewed reaction, and we create symptoms. And the symptoms are there, not as a bad thing to get rid of, but as a wise thing to, to learn from. And we've oversighted that. We're not listening to applied physiology. We're just 
getting rid of the symptoms. We want immediate gratification to get rid of the symptoms instead of a long-term wisdom from the symptoms to guide us how to live wisely. I, I don't uh, have symptoms. It's just not a thing because I eat wisely and I live wisely and I do what I love and, and, I, and I'm more moderate. And so that's a very important reality and distinction in the model of healthcare and well, well-being, I think. We sometimes just overlook it. Applied physiology and applied psychology is rarely ever taught because it means they have to be accountable. And people don't want to be accountable. They just want to take care of it. They want to blame something on the outside and look for a savior on the outside to take care of things. A false attribution bias extremely instead of an intrinsic feedback system. It's a beautiful reframe to understand that symptoms are actually a gift from the innate intelligence to show you something is wrong, right? And the analogy that I always give is that check engine light that might come off. You don't drive, but those who do drive, uh, check engine light popping up during your road trip, you would pull that car over, open up the hood and see what's going on underneath. Now, you mentioned you mentioned some mild symptoms. I'll call them mild and referring to like the uh, gastrointestinal issues, the diarrhea, the bloating, et cetera. What about things like cancer, obesity, insulin resistance, diabetes, heart disease, would you categorize those as symptoms as well? Yes, same thing. Let me share with you uh, some cases. If anybody who's worked with diabetics or anybody who's got a family member with diabetics, you will probably notice certain personalities. You will notice that telling them what to do is not easy. Doctors are notorious for trying to get them to do certain things, not eat sugar, not gain weight, not do this. They tend to have a feeling like they're in control. They need to be in control. And, they, and if you try to get them to do something, you tell them they won't do it. But if you make it look like it's their decision, they might do it. Now, what's interesting is what we find is when somebody has their sympathetic nervous system activated from a fight or flight response, from perceiving challenge in their world, the blood sugar goes up. The insulin goes down, the glucagon goes up. A sympathetic response to a perception. If all of a sudden somebody has supportive, nurturing behavior around them, that's what they're perceiving, and the parasympathetic comes online, and a rest-digest modality comes on, the insulin does the opposite. It goes up. Uh, <laughs> The blood sugar goes down, glucagon does the opposite, goes down, and the blood sugar comes down. And you'll see that hypoglycemics, you can tell them what to do, they'll do whatever you tell them. You can tell them to walk off a bridge, they'll do it. They are more submissive. I call them, they minimize themselves to others, where the diabetic usually exaggerates themselves to others. They're sweet, and the diabetic is usually bitter. They're usually in anger. There's a history of some sort of anger sometimes. So one is a sympathetic from a challenge perspective. One's a parasympathetic from a support perspective. And you see it in the personalities. And I've been noticing this for decades. And what's interesting is I go in there and I take the situation that they're challenged by and ask them how it serves whatever they value in life, what's important to them. And I stack up the advantages and benefits of it. I can actually get their, their insulin and glucagon levels changed and their blood sugar comes down. Right on the spot, within an hour or two of doing this, I can bring the blood sugar down. I've taken people with diabetes. And you've tested that? Yeah, yeah, we've done it. And we've literally changed that because most of us store in our subconscious mind 
all of our emotions that we've never resolved. And they accumulate and affect our physiology and affect our insulin and affect our glucagon and affect our pancreas and, and our liver and things. So that's just one small example of what's going on with the, that, you know, biochemistry. Now, the same thing for thyroid. I used to notice hypothyroid women used to come in my office on a regular basis. And I started asking unique histories because I saw patterns. Very commonly, they had some kids. Uh, they had an expectation their husband be around more to help them. Uh, they felt a bit resentful, but they were dependent because they were working with all the kids and they didn't have an income and the husband was taking care of them. So they couldn't speak up and they repressed themselves. And people that repress themselves, you see that the thyroid gland originates from the tongue underneath. The thyroglossal duct comes from the Lafram and sequin goes down and goes down and becomes lobed. And, and so the tongue has a lot to do with it. So speech and swallowing and food and metabolism have a lot to do with the thyroid gland. That's why if you have high hypothyroid, you have slow, slurred speech, which is a repressed speech. But you get hyperthyroid, you got a, a really fast-speaking person. One is afraid to speak up. The other one talks almost tactlessly. They, 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 so one is self-righteous and talks and doesn't worry about what people think. And the other one is frightened to speak up, and they're afraid to speak up. And you see these personalities, and you see these autonomic responses again. And you can, it's a pattern I've seen over and over again. So if I go in there and I change them and give them the, the anxiety of speaking up and dissolve their anxiety to speak up and they speak up and you can go and measure it. And it all comes the TH, the, the T3, T7, T, they all start going up and or going down. You can actually regulate these. So we don't talk about that. We don't actually give people their accountability back. We rob them of accountability. We say, well, you've got this condition. You measure it. You know, you saw recently, just the last two weeks, that the biochemical model of depression has got thrown out the window. They, they've been selling that since the 1990s. I've been telling people it's not true, but they finally acknowledged it on the new study and found out that that was a pharmaceutical gimmick. And people just assume they got a biochemical imbalance, but there's not a, you don't just get a biochemical imbalance for no reason. You get a biochemical imbalance because you store up psychological issues that keep affecting hormones and transmitters, the signal molecules and they show up as chemical changes epigenetically. So you see these patterns. And I recently, I'm gonna give you an example of a, <laughs> a, a person. This goes back to a very old view, but we just had a lady, I just worked with a lady the other day that just found out she had a gallbladder cancer. And on the gallbladder cancer, it's also metastasized locally to the, the, to the liver and also to the, the antrum of the stomach and into the duodenum and into some areas of the small intestine. And so they're now starting chemotherapy. And uh, they weren't sure if it had metastasized, so they had to go in there and scope it to find out if there was some metastasis. They found it was metastasized. But what's interesting is, prior to this, there was this lady has got a history of a bit of diabetes. We've actually neutralized the diabetes where she hardly even used insulin. She'd been using insulin since a child. Okay, that was got down. But... All of a sudden, she'd been doing pretty good. She exercised everything else. But all of a sudden, she ended up having a move to a different location. She didn't want to be there. She was kind of bitter that they had a move because of the business for a spouse. And um, she all of a sudden, her identity is getting shaking. And she doesn't want to be angry because it's a beautiful place. But it's just her identity got robbed. She just changed her identity. And she was bitter. 
And then she also thought, you know, I can't make any money. I'm dependent on a guy. And she doesn't like that. And the guy is also controlling all the money. Doesn't like that. And so in the process of doing that, uh, she suddenly has this liver cancer, this gallbladder cancer. And uh, she was bitter and galled, if you want to use that metaphor. And um, also not knowing how to digest this entire thing and not know how to deal with that entire thing. And I see patterns of these types of personas. I had a lady that had um, uh, uterine cancer. It had metastasized. Uh, so they just took out the uterus and the, the ovaries, metastasized the small intestine, a tiny bit to the liver. They started chemo, a cocktail chemo that seemed to be working against that from the biopsy. And during that first week before she was starting chemo, I found out a little history of her. I'd spent six hours with her. Most doctors don't have the time to do that. I just happened to because this lady was a little closer to me and I took the time for it. Found out that she had not made love for 21 years, married to her husband. <laughs> and was playing a martyr at her church. And her church belief system was the more you suffer, the better the afterlife. Crazy delusion in some respect. And her husband had a fling. And the reason why she shut down her sexuality is because she didn't want to make love with him again after he had a fling with some woman. But the more she suffered and the more she sacrificed, the more she was thinking she was going to get some benefits in the afterlife. This is a belief system. People have crazy belief systems sometimes. In the process of doing it, she's working. He doesn't work. He's got an aneurysm, so he doesn't work, even though he can go fishing. So she's taking care of this guy kind of resenting it, doesn't want to have sexuality, shut it down. He's probably balancing it out with other means, as you can imagine. And all of a sudden, she has uterine cancer, uh, reaching a point at the point where all of a sudden, she found out that he was able to do lifting and everything else. And so she got angry at him and said, you know, you need to go out and do a job, by God. You can do this and you can do that and you can lift tackle and you can do that and you can push boats and things you can work and you need to supplement, which caused a conflict and, and a fight. So she felt trapped and she also was in fighting and she normally didn't stand up to him. She just sucked it in and this came out, but she suddenly gets uterine cancer, right? Now this is theoretically has been going on in the adiploidy and the cells have been going on for years and possibly so, but all of a sudden she's got symptoms and she's got uterine cancer. So I sat with her for six hours and dissolved with my method, the Demartini method that I teach in the break too. You, you know what I'm talking about. And I dissolved the resentment. There's everything I could find on the resentment she'd had until we turned it into an opportunity, how it benefited her, uh, who is playing the affectionate role to her, where her sexuality was in another form that she didn't want to admit at first, but she finally got to it. And the benefits of that and the drawback of all of a sudden he was the way she fantasized and we sat down and we spent six hours navigating through the entire thing, the issue about the church, um, the idea about her sexuality, everything. And so there was nothing but tears of gratitude after six hours. And she started to chemo. And she ended up having a magnificent recovery. In the next 10 weeks, there was tiny little loci left on the liver, that tiny little loci in the small intestines. It looked like it was done. And they were celebrating that the next chemo will be the last round. Looks like we're going to get this one. Looks like you're going to do fine. You will have to say you might be 
I have to watch you every six months or three months or something, but it looks like you you beat the game. So it's a, a success case, supposedly. And they were literally celebrating their achievement on a particular night. And I was there to celebrate this thing because I played a role and everybody's playing a role and she just invited me over. The following day, her daughter happened to go into a restaurant with a friend and found the husband with another woman they had the fair with many years earlier. And the reason being is he didn't know if she was going to live or die. He didn't want to work and didn't have the ability to work, supposedly. But this other woman had a lot of money, so he was basically doing a backup plan, which is understandable. If your wife's about to die, you've got a backup plan. But that's not what a wife wants to hear when she's on the cancer game. So we're all meeting at the house, and the daughter is trying to keep a straight face and not trying not to say anything because they don't want to put stress on the mom. He's quiet. And there's a strange energy that she intuitively picked up. Something's not right here. What's going down? So finally, she's confronted what's happening because they couldn't speak up and look her straight in the face. And they said, okay, what's happened? Well, he spoke up and he said, what's happened? She said, please leave my room. I don't want to talk to you. And she got really depressed and really angry and really bitter. And she started having symptoms. And the following day, it metastasized throughout her small intestine, back into her liver, and to some other areas, about even into bone. Just suddenly, boom. And we went to the doctor, and I told the doctor what had happened. He said, no, that has nothing to do with Psychology has nothing to do with this. What happens is the, the cancer adapts to the chemo, and it, it migrates. It suddenly migrates, metastasizes, and goes everywhere in literally two days. Not easy to believe it's just done that. But within weeks, they tried a different cocktail. They tried radio. They end up over-radiating. It ended up having fibrosis. It occluded the intestines. They had to resect the test intestines out. Um, she said, I don't want to live. I don't want to wear a bag. No man's going to want me. I don't want my husband again. She died three days later. So I've watched the psychology of these things. And people don't, you know, some doctors just, they're pharmaceutical and they're radio and they're chemo and they're, they're you know, they, they have their models and they don't necessarily look at the psychology. But what's interesting is the nurse that was there whispered to me. And she said, it's interesting. When I heard you talking to the doctor about what had happened here, the nurses, we get all kind of knowledge about what's going on in our lives. And we actually have bets at the nursing station, who's going to walk out of here and who's not by their attitude. And the doctors don't pay attention to that, but we, we do. And I said, thank you. I see this. I used to be president of the Cancer Prevention Control Association in Houston, Texas, many years ago. And that's where I started noticing patterns in cancer patients. And I found out that they have all or none absolute polarities many times in their language. And I saw this over and over again. I would never do that. My mother was never there for me. I would never do that to my family. They were always mean to me. Always, never is black and white, which is a non-resilient absolute morality, which means non-resilience. If you're neutral, you don't fear the loss of the things you call positive. You don't fear the gains of the things you think are negative. When you're highly polarized and it's all positive, you fear its loss. 
when it's all negative, you fear it's gang. It's like a religion trying to tell you fire and brimstone, hell, and the paradise and the afterlife, and they polarize you, and then they make it where, oh, I fear of that, and I got to have that, and they set up a fantasy and a nightmare, which is easy to control. You can control people with that. But when you're actually in your objective center and your executive center and you're living more objectively, not subjectively biased to extremes. Did you know there's actually beverages that can supercharge your fasting results? My favorite, which is a keto powerhouse, is apple cider vinegar. There's a ton of research showing apple cider vinegar has been beneficial for boosting your metabolism, suppressing appetite, reducing fat storage. That's because apple cider vinegar contains acetic acid, which is a short-chain fatty acid that's been shown to promote weight loss in those ways. Also, apple cider vinegar is one of the best ways to balance your blood sugars. A study showed apple cider vinegar improved insulin sensitivity after high-carb meals up to 34%. We also know that apple cider vinegar stimulates digestion, acts as a biostimulant to help break down the fat you're eating on keto. Another research study showed apple cider vinegar protects against mineral depletion. If you're like me, you probably don't like the taste of apple cider vinegar. I think it tastes disgusting. That's why my go-to is Paleo Valley's Apple Cider Vinegar Complex. This is an organic blend of apple cider vinegar and four more gut and health supportive superfoods. I take this before my meals. I take it before coffee. And this enhances my fast and my blood sugar regulation. You'll find it contains organic apple cider vinegar, organic turmeric, organic ginger, organic Ceylon cinnamon, and organic lemon. Since you are a listener of the Keto Camp podcast, we worked out an exclusive discount code for you to get the apple cider vinegar complex capsules and all of the products over at Paleo Valley. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. By the way, they got delicious beef sticks and an awesome organ meat complex. Go check them out. Paleovalley.com. That is KetoCamp15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. When we have this subjective bias, we're extreme in these polarities. Our resilience is gone. Our heart rate variability is off. No adaptability. And I find these in the cancer patients. And what happens is we, we activate what is, as, as uh, Lineweaver and Paul Davies describe, we activate primitive genome toolkits, ancient toolkits between metazole 1 metazoa 2, which is clusters of single-celled organisms before they become organized into organisms. It goes all the way back to you know, millions of years ago. And those genomes come on, online, and they are similar to or blastic states, and the trophoblastic stages in embryology. It's almost like there's a phylogenetic throwback, and there's also an ontogenetic throwback to a primitive embryology and to a primitive uh, history on the earth. And those systems come in where they were lacking oxygen and using a, a different glyxylase enzyme pathway. And these things are activated. And the evolutionary theory of cancer and the epigenetic source of cancer is going bonkers right now. This is the new thing. In 1979, I did a lecture on that to about a thousand oncologists. And they, they was like, okay, we don't know what to say. It's outside. It, it was way over what they were thinking at the time. But there's a lot of data on that that's supporting that. 
So our psychology, if it's highly polarized and it's in a survival mode and it's in the amygdala in response to avoid pain, seek pleasure, avoid predators, seek prey, and it's in survival mode, it goes to extreme physiological responses and biochemical responses. It goes back to a primitive behavior. And a lot of our illnesses are nothing more than regressions back into primitive function. And we go back to primitive cells. The, the earliest cells on the, in life on the planet were extremophiles. Extreme acidity, extreme alkalinity, extreme temperatures, extreme pressure, radiation, gravitation, et cetera. And we find in these cancer cells that lie these are extremophilic in their genetic expression. So it, it's because we're not poised, we're not present, we're not loving, we're not grateful, we're not uh, in transcendental awareness, we're in highly polarized states that we add distress, and then distress epigenetically is causing a lot of these problems. And even if we still use the chemo and all these other approaches, personally, I feel that having individuals sort through their distorted perceptions about their reality that's stored in their subconscious mind and bring those back into equilibrium, which I've worked for five decades developing a method for. If we do that, it's going to enhance the recovery process. And we have a, a, a specialist up in Calgary, Canada, who's had nearly 400 patients go through that process. And it's got documents showing that they, they've made a difference in their recoveries. I mean, you can see the difference. Those that don't, those that do. And he's doing, a, he's kind of observing this. And because they're more poised, they're more present, they're more grateful. So to say that the psychology doesn't have anything to do with, with uh, healthcare is insane. It's insane. And any doctor that's not acknowledging that in my is not paying attention to literature. So how do you overcome that, right? So what I mean by that is a somebody who has a family member, a wife, a husband, a sister, whatever it is, but they were diagnosed with cancer, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune disease, and they're going through that conventional wisdom, but they want to communicate with their doctor to find alternative approaches. But what I've come to find, Dr. John Demartini, is there's this white coat power. You know, it's like the, they got the white coat, you're in the hospital setting, and how do you have a conversation with somebody's doctor who's so in that conventional medicine box to explore other avenues? How do you inspire a family member to have that conversation with those doctors who are not willing to hear other thought processes, psychology, uh, autonomic nervous system, et cetera? Those who believe no proof is necessary, those who don't know proof is possible, waste no words on those that seek not. Good. That's good. Don't waste your time on somebody that's not interested in that. Just take command of your life. It's your life and find alternatives and see if there's a way of working together and be more integrative in the approach. There's no reason, there's no reason to, to exclude one or the other. They both have a value. But my personal feeling is the two together is to their advantage. I mean, I really believe, I, I lectured one time with a guy named Bernie Siegel. And Bernie Siegel wrote Love, Medicine, and Miracles, cardiovascular background. And he saw people that had broken hearts, had broken hearts. And there's conditions that are literally, but it causes a, you know, a deformed heart because of a broken heart psychologically. And we know that it can cause arrhythmias, and they know that it can cause uh, spasms in the cardiac uh, blood flow. So these are things that are real. I have cardiologists that have acknowledged this. They don't have a problem saying this, son. Some don't want to address it, so they don't study it because it's time-consuming trying to work with people's psychology, and most people don't want to do the work. 
So medicine has gone in the path that it has because of pharmaceuticals and because, you know, that company is, the, the, the objective is to sell pharmaceutical. That's the treatment is a pharmaceutical for, for medicine. If you go to chiropractic, you get adjustment. You go to a uh, nutritionist, you get vitamins. You go to cardiovascular surgeon, you're going to get something removed. Go to medicine, you're going to get a, a, a drug. So each specialty, you go to nutritionist, you get vitamins. There's different people, different specialties. I'm not against looking at alternatives. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just filming today. I'm filming a movie on, on that topic. We're doing a filming on you know, the viability of alternative approaches to healthcare. And I've got another lady that just tried to reach me just now that, uh, you know, is trying to do a, a raise awareness in that field. Because people, some people are willing to take command of their life. They want options. They're willing to go and do the work. And for them, there deserves to be an alternative for them. Others just want somebody to take care of it. So they will approach it from that other perspective. And I'm grateful that they have that. There's a need for everything. You know, you want to be inclusive, not exclusive. But sometimes medical and some specialists do not have the background for the other. They've never studied it. They don't know anything about it. They don't understand the research behind it. So they just say, well, you know, do it. If you think that'll help you, go ahead and do it. But Or they say, no, danger. And sometimes they just, they don't do it. So you have... You have the the right to take command of your life and do research on your own. Now, there's lots of misinformation out there, and rightly so. If so, if a, somebody with a medical background says, you know, that's watch out for that. There is misinformation out there. A lot of people preying on that, you know, opportunistic idea because people have nowhere else to go, and that's true. But there's also real alternatives, and they need to be discerned out and help people get the the opportunities they have. I have many doctors that have used some of the methods I've got on stress reduction and dissolving things, emotions like that, and use it in their clinic. They have one of my facilitators in their clinic working with patients to help dissolve it on some of the patients. We find that a lot of autoimmune conditions are autoimmune. They're self-attacking. They really have blame on outside and, and their shame on the inside, and they're projecting it onto others. You know, it was in uh, biblical writings, it was talking about, you know, pointing your finger at others, pluck the mote out of your own eye before you pluck it out of others. Or I think it was Romans 2.1, that said, you know, you have people who are, you judge, but watch out, <laughs> you do this too. <laughs> so what we do is when we blame other people, we're shaming ourselves. And that is an attack on self. And our immune system will now see that is something you want to get rid of, and it's acting as foreign and autoimmune. I had a really amazing example of this uh, in, um, I've had many, I mean, hundreds of examples, allergies of all sorts and autoimmune conditions, hives, and even a col I've got collagen and scleroderma and other collagen diseases that are autoimmune resolved. I mean, amazingly. And, and we had- Scleroderma, what about Raynaud's? Have you worked with- I just worked with Raynaud's this week, just this week. We found out what it was, the psychology behind it. And the diet behind it, because she was... That's she, interesting. So I have Raynaud's, and it's gotten progressively better over the years as I've changed some things with me. However, I still get a flare-up every now and then. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you did with the with the Raynaud's. Yeah. Well, in, in her particular situation, she also had, in the distribution of where Raynaud's was, was in her lower distribution. Some are in the fingers, some are in the toes, and etc. Mine's and in my fingers. Yeah. In the fingers, we well, in her case, it was the toes and, the, and part of the feet. 
so there was tingling and numbing and coldness and discoloration, typical Raynaud's. And there's a sympathetic excess, which caused vasoconstriction that's very commonly associated with it. And so in this particular situation, there was a stress response, but it was also, she had discopathies. She had thinning of three discs, particularly L5S1, which is the distribution where the dermatome was, where there was Raynaud's. So we've traced the nerve up and found out the sensations going up the nerve. And then we go up there and we have, she's got a discopathy. So she has what's called hyperimbrication of the lumbar L5S1 and L4, L5. And so it's literally cringing on it and causing abnormal impulses down the nerve. And then you put on top of that a distress response of a sympathetic and the vasoconstriction is heightened. So she was having it. And there was days when it was much easier and days not. But when she's stressed, the musculature of the lumbar spine tightens up and compresses further and causes more abnormal impulses. And then the vasoconstriction is enhanced. So we start her on a stretching process, which is a plow. In fact, I, I put her through a plow position, which is a yoga asana, and we had her lean back and do this plow position. And all of a sudden she said, I'm feeling blood supply. I said, it's because you have hyperimbrication and you feel your blood, now it's warm again. Great. And right now, while you're doing this, you're also meditating while you're doing this position. And so you're calming the autonomics and you're also relaxing it and opening up the disc space. And now you're Renaud. Right now, you feel your, you can feel the warmth back in your feet. And she goes, so part of it was physical and part of it was a stress response. Yes, but the stress response is compressing the lumbar spine because anytime you feel you're unfulfilled in your highest values, L5S1 is the base of the spine. Those muscles contract in the erector spinae group. So what happens is she was actually compounding it with these two factors. So I said, if you do the plow and we put some traction on it, we do a hyperimbrication maneuver to open up that space and we monitor when it's aggravated sympathetic wise, so stress rise, I think you can keep this under management, but you do have narrow discs and you do have vulnerability. Now I've also seen people that have in the, the extremities of the fingers and not in the lumbar spine, but they got cervical injuries. And so sometimes you find cervical involvement. I don't know if you've ever had a significant cervical injury, but that's worth investigating and, and check and see if there's the intervertebral foramen are impacting and blocking the flow of nerve impulses down, because they do. You have what they call piezoelectrical alteration, electronics of nerve conduction whenever there's an abnormal position or been a, a locking of vertebra and there's a compression causing electrical field alteration on the nerve. So those are things that alter sometimes sympathetic response down the nerve. And so that's why you have days where it seems to be better. And you may find out, I, I take people with nods, if it's, is it both sides or one side? It's both sides. Yeah, I can sometimes pull the head up and pull a traction on the neck and stretch it forward and lift up the IVF and open up the IVF and they can feel the difference literally while I do it. It, it just all of a sudden they can feel like blood all of a sudden and they feel warmth. And all of a sudden, it, it changes right on the spot. And they go, whoa. And then I put compression on it. I compress the neck. And all of a sudden, it's aggravated. And so there's a spinal component. There's a stress response. Because stress makes all those, those muscles up and down the spine tighten. We get rigid. And so those are factors. There's also diet factors. You know, we can use vasodilative uh, niacinamide and things of that nature to open up the blood flow. So there's things that people do diet-wise. There's also things that tend to... If you drink a lot of water and not and less protein and fat, your temperature goes down. If you eat more fat and protein, the temperature goes up. So those are also factors that add to it. So if you're thin and then you eat a certain way, 
and you drink a lot of watery foods, the temperature will aggravate the, the, the process, the retinol. So these are all factors in there. But there's, they, they basically say it's an autonomic imbalance on, on the sympathetic nervous system. That's basically the causality of it. The question is, is why? <laughs> What's triggered it? Yeah, that, that's super interesting because I tend to be very sympathetic dominant. And again, over the years, Raynaud's has really improved for me as I work on balancing out parasympathetic and the sympathetic. Something I've tracked as well, and you mentioned this word earlier, is my heart rate variability. And over the years, as there's a correlation here, as my Raynaud's has gotten better, meaning less flare-ups, my HRV has gone up. Yeah, exactly. Heart rate variability has gone up. You've gotten a younger heart rate variability, uh, probably 50 or, or, or higher now. Um, I mean, probably lower now. And so now it's, uh, you, you know, you have the flexibility. And that means your blood vessels are also more flexible too. Interesting. They're, they're, they're being rigid or loosened by the autonomics. Yeah, so my heart rate variability was in the 30s a few years ago. Now, on average, it's in the 60s, 70s, which has improved. Um, yeah. Along with my resting heart rate, Something that's very interesting, I want to hear your thought on this. My thought is that there's a, a high genetic component to what I'm about to share. My fiance, Natasia, her heart rate variability on average is around 160, which I've never seen anything like that. Would, would you put chalk that up to more of like a genetic component to why we see that? Is she athletic in any way? She's a casual athlete, doesn't really, she's not an athlete professionally. She works out once in a while, but not, I wouldn't categorize her as an athlete. Well, and uh, her personality, is it a, a driven personality, a more laid back personality? She's introvert. She's an introvert. She has panic attacks from time to time. She has some drive to her, but I wouldn't say she has like a driven personality. Yeah. Well, it's very possible that there's a genetic component. I mean, I, you don't want to ever negate a genetic component. But at the same time, if I was to uh, watch it, and and see the fluctuations how, how often has it been monitored to see where it's if it's that high is it fluctuating is it always that high so we use an aura ring which is a sleep tracker and we look at it in the morning and it shows us the last eight hours or so so she got 130 to 160 we we just got covid a couple weeks ago and both of ours tanked but that was a huge stress to us but 130 to 160 usually is her average yeah well I would check it by an alternative means just in case because the ring may or may not be as accurate as ideal. Just check it against another form of evaluation on it and see because if all of a sudden it's now 100, then it may not be all that abnormal. It could be the actual monitor itself that's, that's a factor. So I would check that just in case. But if yours has been consistently checked by different means and it's, the ring is showing the same numbers, then great. Then that's the case. But there may be a genetic component. She may also have very flexible blood vessels and her heart may be really in good shape. So that may be genetic also. Yeah, I'm a little jealous of it. That's why I asked you the question. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I've taken people, I've taken people through the what I call the Demartini method, which is my method on asking questions to help you become fully conscious of things you've been unconscious of to balance out the autonomics. And I've taken people who've got a, a heart rate variability of X and done the method for say two hours and done it and repeatedly changed that rate, that the heart rate variability. I mean, wow. changed it. That's amazing. And gone from 60 to 110 or 40 to 80. I mean, in literally two hours. So we have the capacity to change that with our perceptions. And that's why I know my body is real. 
I just did another interview on that very thing just literally hours ago. So that's a very common thing that that people, I don't think that people really, really, well, that's not true. There are many people that know that, but many people just don't. The average person walking down the street is not aware that they have the capacity to change their physiology. We have control over our perception, decisions, and actions. If we prioritize our actions to do high-priority, meaningful, inspiring, and things that we would love to do that make a difference in the world and serve people, our healing is empowered. And if we also take whatever happens in our life and ask, how is it helping us fulfill what is most meaningful and start seeing things on the way instead of in the way, and then making the decision to do both of those, prioritize our actions, prioritize our perceptions. Prioritizing perceptions means asking how specific is whatever's happening in my reality, helping me fulfill what's most important to me. If you prioritize your perceptions, prioritize your actions, I guarantee you, your heart rate variability is going to go up right on the spot. Hey, Keto Camper, there's a simple tip that I teach to my students inside of my Keto Camp Academy that really helps them on their journey in the great land of ketosis. Now, a lot of people who do keto, they tend to struggle because they are missing this simple little tip. And that is the importance of replenishing your electrolytes especially when you lower your carbohydrate intake, like ketosis, you're going to lose a lot of extra water weight. That's a good thing. You're going to look lighter. You're going to feel lighter. But the kidneys go through this diuresis process and you do release electrolytes as well. That's why so many people do keto, but they have unpredictable mood swings, energy crashes, they feel exhausted, and they're wondering, why am I not getting all those amazing benefits Everybody speaks about with keto, the simple fix, use a high quality electrolyte. The one that I use, the one that I love is upgraded charge from upgraded formulas. I love them because it's a unique proprietary absorption method with nanoparticles and it has a 99.99% absorption rate. This is maximum bioavailability. Upgraded charge includes upgraded magnesium, upgraded zinc, upgraded sodium, potassium, and it tastes freaking awesome. It actually tastes like a non-alcoholic margarita. The flavor comes from a natural lime peel. Take upgraded charge during your intermittent fast throughout your day, replenish those electrolytes, and you're going to notice a difference in your energy, your mood, and you're going to really maximize the incredible benefits of ketosis. Upgraded Formulas has given you a 15% off coupon code for being a valuable listener of the Keto Camp Podcast. That is awesome. They're awesome. If you head to UpgradedFormulas.com and use the coupon code KK15 at checkout, you can get 15% off their upgraded charge and anything else you add to your cart. That is UpgradedFormulas.com. Use the coupon code KK15 at checkout. I will also drop a link for you down below in the notes. There was a book that came out, I believe it was 1989, by a gentleman, medical doctor, Dr. Larry Dossey, called Recovering the Soul. You may or may not have read it, but in the book, there was a study that showed they could predict the first time Americans had their first heart attack, and they predicted 85% of the time when an adult American had their first heart attack, it was Monday morning between the hours of 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. going to a job that they resented and hated, which is exactly what you're referring to with living on purpose with your purpose, as you refer to the telos, the Greek calls it your highest values. You have a book all about that. 
So could you give me an example based off of what I just shared? If somebody's going through a big challenge right now, can you give an example of how these voids or challenges could be turned into something great, like a highest value? Yeah. Well, first, let me say something about Larry. I knew Larry for 45 years. Oh, my gosh. Of course you do. <laughs> yeah, I've known him a long time. Uh, I can't say I interact with him every day and I don't see him all the time, but we've occasionally crossed paths speaking. And I first read his book, Space uh, Time Medicine, what is it called? Space Time and Medicine, I think it was called. And he's a lovely fellow, tall, lanky, lovely man, very, very bright guy, lovely guy. And we had an exchange way back 40 something years ago. And we had a great conversation. We couldn't go. We didn't want to go to bed. We were talking because we were talking the same language and it was so inspiring. But that study, you know, I remember that study way back. So it was, I was familiar with what he had written about. And it's true. Most people have Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days. Thank God it's Friday's week friggin' ends. And, and they end up not being inspired by what they do. And they found out something really interesting that the cytokines, you got two types of cytokines, you know, pro-inflammatory, anti-inflammatory, and they're autonomically created. And they found out that if we have an imbalance in those autonomics, you get an imbalance in those cytokines and part of our immune system. Our immune system is responding and must have both sympathetic and parasympathetic imbalance to have master, mastery of immune system. You get one side or the other, you get problems. You get too parasympathetic, just like you get too sympathetic. People don't realize that that's not the answer, it's parasympathetic, it's, it's a balance of the two. But what they found is that people, when they were doing something they loved to do, and they were inspired by the work they were doing, like myself, um, their heart rate variability goes up <laughs> when they work 18 hours a day. Their cytokines are normal, and their blood pressure's down. My blood pressure's 95 over 55 on average. And uh, you don't have any cardiovascular risk when you're doing something you're inspired by, you love what you're doing. You know, Dr. Denton Cooley, who I used to deliver surgery schedules for when I was young and got to do his rounds with him and go watch him do surgical things in the domes and at Texas Heart Institute. This guy was a master heart specialist. And I watched him and walked the rounds with this guy. And he was helping people heal by the way he was communicating to me. He told me that I do the the actual work, and my disciples actually do the work, I oversee them, uh, actually do the surgery. But when I do the rounds, I'm doing the healing. Because he goes in there, I listen to his, his dialogues with his patients. And he was saying, Mrs. Jones, he'd hold their hands, look him straight in the eye, and say, Mrs. Jones, your surgery was absolute success. Soon you're going to be able to pick up your grandbaby. You'll be able to go out in the yard, enjoy the, the, the walks, be with your husband. And he would say things until they got tears in their eyes. He wouldn't leave that, that patient until they were in tears of gratitude and had their heart open. Because he knew that that was one of the keys to making that heart really get back on track. They had to be relaxed and not be anxious about things and, and overstressed about things. So he knew that. And he told me that. He says, love's still the greatest healer. And so that was a cardiovascular specialist, a world-famous one, one of the most famous in the world. And I also got to work with Dr. Dr. Denton Cooley, and also another one that was uh, kind of famous also there. Bernard was in South Africa, 
but there was another and also and he wasn't that same attitude he was great at what he did but he didn't have that same attitude when i saw him work it was not he didn't have a bedside manner denton cooley had but denton cooley as the one that had the most probably the greatest outreach of people around the world coming for his surgery so it was interesting to watch a real healer but we we have the capacity to alter that our immune response you know they used to think the immune response was there to protect us from microorganisms during the germ theory era and i've never been satisfied i chose chiropractic because i didn't i didn't buy that i didn't believe that i didn't believe that there's you know we're here to attack everything i just didn't buy that and i thought because when the very first day i went into chiropractic college there was a guy there was a pretty interesting character named dr Cantor. He took his hands and he licked his fingers and he scraped the floor. And then he licked his fingers again. He says, it's not the germs that's our problem. It's our life and it's our body. And our, we're the host of those germs. And I, and I remember him saying that and I thought, that's interesting. And I studied microbiology and I studied virology and rickettsiology. And I mean, I studied these things. And they now acknowledge that the immune system is a seventh sense it's a sensory system picking up on the ratios of microorganisms in the body and parasites and everything on the body to give the brain feedback on what to do with the the autonomic nervous system to regulate which microorganisms grow because microorganisms are commensurate and they're essential and they're essential for our life for every cell in our body we got 10 microorganisms <laughs> So our most of our body, I always say we're a walking septic tank, or you know, uh, you know, jokingly. But the point is that we're microorganisms, and so they live. We have to have them; they're necessary for us. We're not here to get rid of them. We're here to manage them, to balance them. It's an ecosystem, and so our immune system, instead of there to attack, it's there to regulate. And so instead of having a, this idea of attacking microorganisms and and uh, a hero that attacked it fighting disease it's it's changing we're now thinking about uh, what are we doing that's out of balance trying to get us back into balance and i'm absolutely certain that one of them is putting people on pedestals and putting people in pits when you judge people and look up to them you minimize yourself and you you sacrifice for them and your parasympathetic system dominates and when you look down on people and resent people, you exaggerate yourself, your sympathetic system, because now they're challenging you and you're resenting them. And your sympathetic system. So you're throwing your automatic. Every time you judge, you feel empty because you're too proud or too humble to admit what you see in them inside you and you have an empty missing part. And we don't want to feel empty. We want to feel fulfilled and love fulfills. And when you finally realize with the reflective awareness and a more intimate inspection of your own being, and look at what you see in them inside you and you point your finger at them, you got three back and you own the traits that you have projected, both admired or despised, and go back to loving people. Your autonomic nervous system stabilizes this, your circadian rhythms stabilize themselves. Because during the day you oxidize, during the night you reduce, during the day you acidify, during the night you alkalize, and there's, got, there's a cycle to these things. And these things, if they are out because of all these emotions stored in the subconscious mind, we actually throw these out of whack. And the out of whack is not an illness. It's creating symptoms to let us know we aren't centered, not authentic. We're judging people. And we go around with moral hypocrisies about how people are supposed to be and stop looking at ourselves with these hypocrisies 
and instead of lobbying. And so that's why Bernie Siegel and I did a presentation. We did a bunch of presentations on the significance of love and healing. And I've seen this over and over again. And people have, I think that's what happens. Think about what happens when people are really sick. What happens? The families come together and, and they get together and they say, I love you. <laughs> if they're going to recover, that helps. Oh, that is so good. That is, that is so good. Amen to that. I have three more quick questions as we get, we have a few minutes left. So three quick questions. Did you ever study any of Bob Proctor's work? Who's, who's behind me here? He's passed this year. Did you know Bob? Um, what do you think about Bob Proctor's work? Well, I've known Bob many, many years. I'm not sure how far back it goes. Mm, let's see. Well, we were in the movie together, The Secret, back in 2006, seven, And so that's a, a bit. And then I've known him probably for eight or 10 years before that, I'm guessing. So 30 years, give or take, maybe more. So I said 28, 30 years I've known him. And uh, we have had the opportunity to lecture occasionally together, and we've done TV together and interviews together. And, and um, I have some different language than he does on some of the things we say, but some things are overlapped. And he was a very dedicated man to try to help people, uh, you know, live more full lives, more prosperous lives. He was mainly into helping people more prosperity-wise and business and financial development. That was mainly, Think of Grow Rich was a big book in his life. And Waddle's book on finances were a big book in his life. So he wanted to help people live more enriched lives and more prosperous lives. And But he also had, you know, you can't go down the personal development journey without also just adding and accumulating knowledge over the time. And he was, he's 20 years older than me, so I'm 68 and he he was, he'd be 88, but he passed away just, you know, I think it was last year, I think it was. Earlier this year, yeah. So, um, it was earlier. It was, yeah, was it this year? Yeah. Yeah, because I remember getting called immediately the day passed. I guess it was this year. Yeah, it was this year. Uh, by a very close friend that lives right down the street from him. And, and they did an interview. And they interviewed a bunch of people that knew him. And we all did a thing for him. So, yeah, he had a major impact on a lot of people. Yeah, beautiful. That's really interesting. Uh, next question is, the first interview we did, me and you, a few months ago, I said it was going to be one of the best interviews that you've done. <laughs> now, this is round two. My question for you is this. How would you rate today's interview out of all the interviews you've done? Honest rating on today's interview. Give me feedback. Well, I love the topic. So I get inspired by the topic. So when I get to do this, I don't get to do this topic every day. I did a little bit this morning for a short bit, but not as much as we got to do. So I, I love this interview and I hope that it touches people's lives because if it does, it, it's our objective. I, I know that's your, your intention and my intention. So I love the interview. Absolutely. High rating. I'm going to, in fact, get a copy of it and make sure that it's, got, it's out there. But I appreciate the topic because I think people innately know this. They just are not programmed and not, it's not mainstream thinking. You know, I wrote a book, a thousand-page book on the mind-body connection and on, on various conditions, health conditions, hundreds and hundreds of conditions and the possible psychology and physiology behind it because I was fascinated by it since I was in my 20s, early 20s. And I, I, I wrote a book called The Illusional Basis of Man's Health and Disease, How Perceptual Illusions Create Illness back in, gosh, 70s, uh, towards the end of the 70s. So this topic is, you know, I can, I can get warmed up and go down the rabbit hole for hours on this topic. 
I love it. Yeah, we'll do a round three in the future. I have a lot more questions to ask you. Last question is this, and I'm going to give my audience a free guide that you gave us. Last question is this, uh, gratitude. I, I call it vitamin G. I, I believe it's the most potent vitamin out there. What are you grateful for right now, Dr. John Martini? Well, I can say a lot. I, I have the opportunity to have 10 new books coming out. So I think that's pretty cool. I have the opportunity to sail around the world. When I was 17 years old, I, I had the opportunity to meet Paul Bragg, as you know, in that first interview. And I got an inspiration, a, a vision to travel the world and step foot on every country on the face of the earth and share whatever my research showed uh, and try to do what I can to make a contribution to the world. And I'm doing that. I get to do that every day. I literally full-time travel. I'm in Iceland right now, as you know, and um, we're about to go on another expedition. We just filmed it with the Discovery Channel. It's an amazing video. And um, we just did the first one. We're doing about to do another one. And, uh, and I get to clinically work with people and in every area of life, because I'm interested in how, helping people empower all areas of life. And getting books out and getting the message. And, and they have Nobel Prize winners that come on my ship every month and great lectures, three a day on average. And so I'm, this is an educational adventure, exploration of the world, uh, on the world, um, while I teach and do seminars every day. I do podcasts every day and seminars every day, seven days a week. So I'm grateful. I got lots of things to be grateful, plus books coming out, plus movies coming out. We got the 55th and 56th movie in the making. And just, I, I could go on and on. I got, that, I got the largest gratitude at Journal, as you know, of anybody you'll ever meet. It's 33 volumes. Some volumes are 900 pages. So it's a vast collection of gratitudes. So inspiring. So much vitamin G. And you offered our audience a free guide. So if you all go to demartini.inc slash ketocamp, it's a free gift, seven steps to expand the next level in empowerment. It's a presentation by Dr. John Demartini. Where else do you want them to go to check you out? Well, they can just go to my website and they can uh, go and do the value determination process. Or maybe somewhere down the line, they can come and join me at, at the, my signature program, The Breakthrough Experience, where I help people break through pretty well whatever they see in their way and turn it into on the way. Because anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for becomes fuel. I like helping people fuel their lives. That's right. We'll put a link for that down below. Dr. John Demartini, thank you. You are a genius and thank you for applying your wisdom. I really enjoyed today's conversation and I look forward to the next one. Thank you for what you're doing and thank you for giving me the opportunity to join you. Be part of this again. Well, thank you so much for listening to that conversation. How good was that? I told you, one for the record books, right? You might want to re-listen to this or watch the video version on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash ketocamp. Share this with somebody. Share with everybody you know. This is an episode that will change so many lives. So I really hope it made a big difference for you. I know it did for myself. Go check out the free gift that he's offering you, Seven Steps to Expand to the Next Level of Empowerment. We'll drop that down below. Go check out my detox program launching in a couple weeks over at ketocampdetox.com. And please consider leaving the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review. Thank you for spending part of your day with Dr. John Demartini and myself. I will see you on the next episode.
podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.